Welcome back to uh, Lunchtime Babbling. Um, my name is Shay Brown. I'm the CEO of Babel AI, a company that audits algorithms for ethical risk, bias, and effective governance. Um, I'm joined again by uh, Jeffrey Raker, uh, my partner in crime here. And uh, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. I think I think we want to talk about the EUAI Act, right? I think the the EU AI Act is the is the buzz um, around town because they've now come to the agreement. Um, we don't know what the final text is, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of excitement around it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Looks, uh, looks like this is becoming a bit of a regular thing, which is all right. Give me a little out of my comfort zone. It's all good. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, the EUAI act is a good one to talk on. Uh, that's the, like you, you said it spot on it. That's where the buzz is at. That's the, um, the pain people worry about, um, you know, for companies looking for help. Um, so maybe we can just do like, a, a, you know, key takeaways from the EUA Act. I'll poke your brain a bit, ask you some questions, and, you know, we'll just kind of free flow it and see uh, see what you got. How's that sound? That sounds good to me. I mean, I think it's, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on it. Um, and, uh and so I'll, I'll let you sort of fire away and, and see where we go. All right. Uh, so let's just start super simple. What is the EUAI Act uh, for somebody that's never heard of it? And then um, why is it important? Like, what's the big deal? Um, why are people concerned about it or excited about it? Yeah. So the EUAI Act is, is sort of a very broad, overarching piece of regulation that obviously is at the EU level. Um, and it's been worked on for a long time now, but the main idea, and it's just now coming, uh, being finalized, but the main idea is to be the, will end up being the global law that regulates the use of artificial intelligence. And so it will affect um, the entire world, similar to, to how GDPR really change the whole landscape of privacy, the EU, EU AI Act is poised to do that for artificial intelligence. And so uh, as opposed to us talking about these little regulations popping up in here and there, I think that when we start thinking about compliance for, for your use of AI or development of AI, EU AI Act is going to be that sort of overarching regulation that most people will have to worry about first. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. When I when I talk to people and they're like, where do I start? Uh, if they're in the scope of the EUAI Act, I'm just like, perfect place to start. Um, there's so much to it. It's a it's a massive legislation. Um, you know, the 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 details can be overwhelming, but if you're looking at where I need to be in the future, uh, in my eyes, that's where you need to be. Um, so okay, dive in a little more on this. Who is affected by the EUAI Act? Um, and maybe break down in, in different levels from not just the the organizations that need to be compliant with the regulation, but then down the value chain, you know, the individuals and the public, like who's affected, um, how? Yeah. <clears throat> so it's going to be everybody pretty much 
anybody who wants to um, operate in Europe is going to need to worry about the EU AI Act. So when I say everybody, I'm thinking companies now. So companies that want to sell their products in the European Union need to worry about this. So these are companies that develop AI products. And if they want to put it on the market in the EU, they have to make sure that they conf uh, are conforming with these these laws, uh, the, the, the requirements of the EU AI Act. Um, similarly, people who are developing, companies who are not developing, who are using the AI have to worry about this because it, this is an extraterritorial law. What that means is if there's somebody who's European uh, and even if you are a company in the US or Canada or something like that and a European is going to be using that AI, then you have to worry about uh, the, the, the act because um, it covers, it protects all Europeans and Europeans, they're everywhere. And, um, and so just this is the same thing that happened with GDPR. They all everybody's got to worry about it if they're going if they plan on having any interaction with the Europeans. So in terms of the public, I think what you can expect is that there there's going to be a change just like the privacy laws changed the way we interact with data on the internet and the, the um, kinds of disclosures we get now about cookies and things like this. You're going to see a similar kind of change. So as a, as a, just a citizen, somebody who's who's interacting with AI online, I would expect to see increased transparency around uh, the use of AI. So if you're interacting with an AI system, I would expect that you're going to see notifications about that. You might see opt-in opt and opt-out uh, in some cases for some of some of those AI systems. And so everybody will notice it. Everybody will be affected by this. So if everyone's affected, could you then explain like what is AI? And I, I think that's not a simple answer in a lot of ways, because there's a lot of different ways that an algorithm can be built. So if you could just kind of explain like what AI is and then how it's defined um, in the EU AI Act. And if, you know, are there any differences and what do people have to consider for that? Yeah, so the, the AI, so I should first say that the act is still being rewritten. Like there's a final version, there's an agreement and there's so some technical language that's being done. And by the end of the month and maybe in February, we will see that final version. And so some of this may change a little bit, but, uh, in terms of the most recent versions, the definition of AI, they followed the OECD's definition of AI, which is quite functional in nature. So if you contrast this to, um, and we've talked a lot about on this channel about the New York City Local Law 144, the definition of, of the automated employment decision tool that they have, is really focused on like machine learning uh, as a technique and which is sort of machine learning, it really is the underpinning of AI, what most people think of as AI nowadays. But this is different. They are really talking about an AI system as one that essentially takes in data, does something with that data and produces some, some kind of inference or some kind of output that is functionally useful, uh, either for making some sort of decision or uh, 
just doing something like a generative AI would, would count as that. And they're less worried about the internal workings there. Um, and I think in general, if someone just has never inter interacted with artificial intelligence at all, or don't even know anything about it, which would be surprising nowadays, but if you haven't, you can really just think about it as a machine uh, or an algorithm that does something that we kind of would normally attribute to human intelligence, like making some inference about uh, a person or uh, an image or a piece of text or generating something, uh, planning something out, doing something that uh, you would normally attribute to human intelligence. So Google Maps, you know, when you plan a route, you know, in, in, in many ways that could be considered artificial intelligence. Okay, so if, if algorithms uh, are all over the place and it can be many, many different things, how... How does that, um, how is that considered in the EUAI Act? Like, uh, we've we've heard of like different risk levels, right, with the EUAI Act. So I'm wondering if you could break down a bit um, how different algorithms would be affected, um, and then also would that have any impact on people down the chain? Yeah. So, I mean, good point. Like, the the risk levels are. This is a risk-based regulation. So there are certain requirements that a, that a, either a, de a developer or a user of these AI systems would have based on what risk level the system poses. And so they have different tiers, the highest being uh, prohibited, like you literally just can't use it. And this is, uh, the prohibited uh, would include things like uh, remote biometric identification sort of in the wild and in particular um, you know you can't just willy-nilly uh, have like uh, cameras that are just doing biometric identification of people uh, unconstrained in the wild and the only certain actors can get away there are some exceptions for law enforcement that, but they're very strict uh, that's one that's that would be considered prohibited and there are a couple more um, uh, uh, certain kinds of emotion, emotion recognition are, would be considered, uh, prohibited as well in certain contexts where it's, where you're, um, making really consequential decisions based on that. And then there's a high risk is the next level down. Now prohibited just means don't do it. And the fines are big there. Like, you know, you can, it's up to like 7% or something of the, of your global re uh, annual revenue, but high risk is where a lot of the requirements come in. You can have a high-risk system on the market, um, and high-risk systems are, uh, there's a whole list of them that would include things like use of AI in education, in uh, hiring and promotion, things like medicine, insurance, uh, things that are kind of seem obviously high-risk, where there's a consequential impact if it gets something wrong. And that's where most of the obligations are. And then there's sort of a low risk category below that where there's some transparency sort of obligations, but there's very little. Um, and those are kind of deemed okay. Um, but the high risk is where where most of the, the meat of the EU AI Act is. So, okay. So with these high risk algorithms, they have uh, all this stuff that they have to do to get compliant with the law. Um, 
And I think the main thing people would be concerned about is a conformity assessment um, for this regulation. Uh, can you explain what a conformity assessment is and how an organization's going to get one? Yeah. Well, this is really relevant for us. I mean, because we are, you know, we're we're aiming to be one of the one of the bodies that will actually do these uh, assessments. So, a conformity assessment is kind of comes in two flavors. There's one that is just sort of an internal assessment. So it's like there's a there's a number of requirements for high risk systems. Things that like you need to have a quality management system that has certain features. You need to have a risk management system that has certain features. And when I say certain features, there's a lot of features. There's a lot of things that you have to be doing in terms of mitigating risk uh, around the use of AI. There is uh, ongoing monitoring. There's technical documentation you need to produce. There's a lot. And so you could do an internal assessment where you say, okay, I'm. let's look at our system. Let's look at our controls. Do we have a quality management system? Do we have a risk management? And then we will have like this attestation. We will say, uh, that we conform to all of this. And you'd write something up saying, we conform to this. We've done everything. And that's an internal conformity assessment. And that, in some cases, that is going to, probably in many cases, that's going to be enough to put your put your tool in the market, let's say, or to use a system. The, the other case is uh, an, an independent third-party conformity assessment. And so this is something that has been around for a long time in Europe. You know, if you buy a washing machine in Europe that was built in America, it had to go through a conformity assessment process to make sure that it was okay to be sold in Europe. So it's very akin to that. Um, and this is where a third party independent uh, body, a conformity assessment body will come in and check that you have done all of those things that you have the quality management system, you have the risk management system and technical documentation and all of that. And there will be a mark of conformity that will be granted. And those third party, those third, uh, those third parties can also require extra things. It's so uh, they can come back and say, oh, you said you were testing your system uh, six months later, let's make sure you're still testing your system for these sorts of things. Um, and so that's a heavier lift. Now, the details of what, which is which, like which system can get away with having an internal assessment and which one would have to have a third party, that's the details that we're kind of, that I think are being worked out currently in the law. And we'll be keeping a close eye on what the result is when it's published. So I'm curious, since, especially since, you know, it's not finalized. Um, I'm curious if you could speak to timeline, like, and, and if you can, because I, I think there's a spectrum, right? Um, just kind of speak to timeline. Where do companies need to really start worrying? When do they have to start preparing? Yeah. I think, so I think the answer to the last part, which is when do you need to start preparing, is now. I think that's it. So the in terms of when the rubber really meets the road, uh, I think, we're going to get the final, not the final, but the, the at least draft final uh, of, the, of the sort of the text sometime later this month or early next month. Um, they're working on it now. And so this will come out. Um, 
And so companies will have sort of this is the final version and it's the meshing of sort of the, the versions that were created by the European Commission and the European Parliament. And so that's all getting finalized and squished together after the trilogue process. And so we'll have this sort of final text where there might be some tweaks potentially later, but it's pretty much done. And so now companies can start getting ready and preparing based on this finalized version. Uh, prohibited systems are going to, they're going to sort of roll it out a little bit. Prohibited systems will, uh, that will co come into effect around 2025. Okay. So the, the next year, not 2024, but the 2025. And the high risk, the requirements for high risk systems are likely to come into effect 2026. Now, uh, in terms of preparation, people need to start now because the requirements are pretty onerous. Um, and, and I think companies need to start thinking carefully about how aligned are they currently in terms of their own internal processes, if they have them with what the dra what the text is saying and start uh you know uh ticking things off and, and getting these critical uh systems in place infrastructure in place the controls in place to eventually satisfy it by 2026 for high-risk systems i'm curious if you could speak to like how much actually probably couldn't even speak to this how, how, how much an organization could do this on their own or if they should go out and find help? Um, what kind of risk they might run into by not being compliant and not doing it correctly? Yeah. I mean, so the, the risk is pretty clear. Uh, you know, if you, if you deploy like a, a prohibited system where it's prohibited and you didn't know it was prohibited and, you ha and that's, that's like 7% of... Uh, kind of fines. This is GDPR plus fines. This is a lot of money. Um, for high-risk systems, if you are not compliant, you can get up to 3% of your global revenue, annual revenue in fines. Again, when you think about really large organizations, that's a lot. Um, and if you're non-compliant. Now, the, the question about how do you need help, I think... The answer is, pro I mean, probably yes. I think it's it's not easy to navigate this. Um, I think that they should start even without getting external help. Like I think if, 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 if there's a company listening now that hasn't done anything yet, I think immediately you need to start inventorying your AI systems and figuring out which one of them might fa fall into the EU AI Act and which may not and figuring out what kind of controls you have in place currently and really start mapping out where you need to be. But that's a heavy lift. And a lot of people are asking us to do that, for instance, because it is a difficult process to really think about what, where are you getting the most ROI on your efforts in terms of where are you going to focus? Because you don't want to like just start throwing controls together and it not be super relevant or effective for, for compliance with the law. And so um, I think getting some outside help in that area can save a lot of money. Yeah, that's great. I'm wondering if you could actually uh, expand upon that. Um, talk more about like the steps an organization should take uh, to get compliant. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So we have like an official list of things, and I won't go through the official list of things. I will just 
talk um, talk generally here. Not general. I'll talk specifically, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go through a kind of a logical order. The logical order is you gotta find someone to be responsible for this. That's like step number one. And this is you know we we teach AI governance uh, courses here, and I always say that. Uh, all of these internal controls are really just made up of people, the things that they do, and the tools they use to do them. That's like any kind of internal structure within an organization, and it's no different than uh, for AI governance. So you need people, you need things that people do, and you need the tools they use to do it. So the very first thing you need is people. So there needs to be a person or a group of people that are going to be responsible for figuring out compliance with the EU AI Act. So designate somebody. That has to be somebody who it's either their their primary job or if you're a small company, it's part of their job. The next thing that that person needs to do or that group of people need to do is the inventory process. You gotta know where you have these AI systems. Now inventory is made up, is split between um, internal tools that you produce yourself so it, it could be a company that literally that's part of their products is AI. So you need to know w which systems are, are being used. Then there's also ones that you procure. So ones that you develop and then there's ones that you might have procured from outside sources. So uh, from a vendor, let's say. You need to know all of those too because there are requirements for users, not just for developers. So you need to know that. And then there are also sort of ancillary uses of AI, which you may not even realize. So you need to look through your whole tech stack, you know, th things like Grammarly or Slack or Notion, they have AI built into them now, like all of these sort of software tools that are that you don't necessarily think has AI, you need to know where all of those are, because you need to manage that risk that you're using AI without having considered it. Um, or according to regulation. So inventory is the next thing. And that inventory process has to be thorough. So once you have this inventory process, the next thing is scoping whether these systems are going to be in scope for the EU AI Act. Are they going to be high risk? You need to start thinking about classification. This is probably where you need to start bringing in external help potentially because it may not be obvious whether it is or not. And... Part of the reason is, is that it is risk-based and you probably will, will have to start doing risk assessments. So you can either just do a quick scan and say, these are definitely high risk and let's go, let's start working with those. Or you can try to go deep in each one and really try to pick apart uh, really carefully which ones are high risk. But you need to have some tiering system where you know that these are likely going to be in scope, these are probably not in scope. Once you have that basic triage, after then you move on to the risk assessment process. And so then you need to start looking a little bit deeper into what are the actual risks associated with this. Now this is where you need to start documenting things because this is going to be part of your requirements for the EU AI Act. So you need to start implementing a, a risk assessment and a risk management system. Now, this is a lot of work. Now, that's just the beginning because once that 
after that process and you have a pretty clear idea about which systems you're using, what are the main risks associated with them, then you need to start thinking about mitigations and human in the loop and documenting all of that stuff. But if you haven't gotten to that point by the, let's say the end of this year, you are you could be in serious trouble because there could be systems that are in scope and you're not, you won't have enough time to implement things. So at the point of the categorization after the inventory, that's where you need to start thinking about, do you need help to, to start categorizing these and start doing risk assessments for them? Um, but at the very least, those first three steps need to get done fairly soon. Hopefully that wasn't too much, too much detail uh, for people, but that's, that's really the, temporally that's the order i would do things in yeah that was great I, I, actually i was just thinking this would be a good uh good thing where we could break down in a future episode like the steps in the process an organization uh should consider and and, and take um but I, I i think that's a i think that's a pretty good wrap on on this conversation right now um i can't think of too much else to add to it what i will say is you know, we're, I think we're going to do quite a bit of these, um, these lunchtime babblings talking about and dissecting the EU AI Act and all of the little details. Um, and, and so if people have things that they want to know about, you want us to, to answer to specific aspects of the law, how to do things, um, please just let us know, leave them comments, uh, reach out to us and, and, and we'll do our best to answer it. Yeah. And thank you for coming to uh, either watching or listening to Lunchtime Babbling. If you're watching us on YouTube, if you could like and subscribe, that would be, we'd love that. And thank you very much for that. And if you're listening on a podcast, then thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you again uh, next time.